One note follows another with increasing rapidity until each bird sounds like a whole orchestra, repeats its name amongst a jumble of musical notes. The sea was a shining black piece of plate glass. You could hear every fish that broke the surface. I propped my back against the mast and watched a dark, mysterious world we were slipping through. I watched the bow swing to either side of a star near the base of the Southern Cross. The old man was at the helm. We needed him this trip. He could navigate the entrance to the port on a foggy night. And that's what we were heading for. Here it is on a telegraph pole. For all the world, as much at home as on an orange tree or a magnolia. It sounds much like a brown thrasher, but is not content merely to duplicate its phrases. It sometimes repeats the same little group of notes three or four times, as if it were real powerful.
thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, I got to tell you about the fabulous, most groovy Bell Bottom. Bell Bottom.
Flap like plastic. Thank you. 
As though sitting on the masttop, a big aircraft soared high along our course. Its jet trails paralleling our wake, leaving behind lines across the sky, as though drawing our route on a chart. The sea brushing our bows no longer denoted our speed. Instead, suddenly, the catch was plodding. But we were sailing to a place the jet would never know, could never touch, where its impossible speed is of no use. The wind held. Soon we would raise the hills above the small port. These worries that parents have in their uh, first weeks, they tend to forget. Specific research has shown that some of the earliest worries are almost completely washed out of your mind by the time the baby is six months of age. But these are the most crucial worries to the mother beginning with her first baby. I wonder if any of you will remember some of the uh, first ones that assailed you. I do. In the hospital, I remember calling for the nursery nurse immediately because I was feeding the baby the bottom and he got the hiccups. And it just shattered me. <laughs> and it's interesting, isn't it, because you know yourself that you have hiccups at times, <laughs> and you've known that your husband and other friends have had hiccups, but yet it seems terribly surprising in a baby. I know that as a, as a children's physician, I've often been telephoned by a mother to ask uh, whether it's all right for a baby to have <laughs> hiccups. A very good example, both of of how unusual something seems in a baby that you're used to in uh, older people, and also a good example of how anxious one naturally is when one's first born. Well, after his third sneeze one day, I was sure he had a very <laughs> bad cold. No, a lot of mothers, they're not only sure that it's a bad cold, they think it's probably the beginning of pneumonia. <laughs> That's no, right. I wasn't that concerned. Um, they all do uh, sneezing, and I think that it's probably more so in steam-heated uh, houses and steam-heated apartments where the nose gets dried out. They've actually found by careful observation that uh, a fair number of children develop enough of an accumulation of dried mucus in the nose from the air being so dry in an, in an apartment or a steam-heated house that the baby is having difficulty breathing and that his, uh, and that his, um, his um, the edge of his ribs are being retracted uh, when he's uh, breathing. And this is because babies don't know enough to open their mouths when they're having difficulty breathing through their nose. We take this for granted, uh, day or night, if there isn't enough room in the nose, you just open your isn't mouth. Is that a natural instinct? For some reason it isn't. Uh, babies uh, don't do this. The only, many babies, the only way they can open their mouth is by crying. And uh, this is what will happen with a baby who's badly obstructed with a cold in the nose. He'll fall asleep begin to suffocate, you might say. This makes him so uncomfortable that he wakes up and cries. And some babies with a, with a badly obstructing a cold will wake at least once a minute all night long, uh, just a succession of uh, wakings because they feel themselves suffocating. I mentioned this in connection with uh, sneezing because I think that this is what sneezing usually is, is a collection of uh, dry mucus in the nose that makes a baby sneeze. So this is a should be an indication for the mother to at least peek in there and see if, uh, if things are getting obstructed. 
they are getting obstructed, it's good to uh, moisten um, the, the dried mucus in the nose with um, a little piece of wet cotton. When babies teeth, they usually get their bottom teeth first, right? Yes. And then the two top ones. But well, my little boy, he got his two bottom ones and his two back ones are covered in. Really? Before the, before the upper central teeth. Really. Usually, it's the two central incisor teeth here first. The ships in the then harbor are beginning to look like four upper central incisors. You couldn't hear the loading. Then there's usually, and that's anymore. the average baby has this by a year of age. And then there's usually a pause of uh, a couple blue, of months. The then come the, the two lateral incisors below and the four molars, and those usually come more or less at the same time. Those second the six. road leads to Carmel. But there's considerable Garden. variation in it majority of cases, variation in tooth pattern doesn't mean anything at all. It's also important to realize that uh, in a majority of cases, earliness or lateness of teething has no health significance and has no intelligence significance. We tend to have the, a pride as parents when a child does anything uh, early and we think that that's uh, marvelous and I think that sort of the Mother's assumption is if he gets his teeth uh, early, he's probably going to be smart in all, all respects and be president of the United States. But there's, there's no connection between earliness of teeth and intelligence or other aspects of uh, development. I think one, one comforting thing that parents should know whose children are very slow at everything is that... Uh, Shores emerged and receded. Ships trailed narrow columns of smoke and vanished. Only the vastness of the sea remained constant. And then night. The black masts and curved sails of silver appeared in the moonrise. The phosphorus wake trailed out over the empty sea. Somewhere ahead, was the reef, and the reef gap, and a sheltered cove.
You're tuned in to Flat Black Classic on Mutiny Radio without a dim. If you like what you hear, go to the website, donate some money, we need it. Going to a good cause. Be greatly appreciated. Keep on listening. The wind skimmed the surface of the sea, lifted the spray at the reef, threw it high, like some enormous fountain. The wind moaned through the boards of the chair. The sand fired at the walls, cut into the grain, filled the cracks, screamed through the trees swept across the lagoon, found our catch there, and held it iceland. Not like the wind at sunrise, it sent our sails flaming along the sky, like sculpted walls of alabaster.
edging along towards Homeport. We were looking for the smoke rings, the Batas lambs. By the time the sun had gone, we could see the red beams on top of the transmitting towers, high above the coast. And then the wild patterns of light and reflections sparkled along the coastline on the sea. The port, a surrealist's nightmare, growing more psychotic as we approached. And then we were in the midst of the harbor, cutting through the black, oily water, reflected a smooth color, curled and flashed on the swells, exploded in a gory battlefield on our wing. Silent fireworks. It meant we were
previous recording, we were not able to control the distance of the dolphins from the hydrophone. Some of the changes in amplitude of the signals were caused by the dolphins swimming. To investigate how dolphins produce these sounds, a single dolphin was isolated in a shallow tank of water. Contact hydrophones were placed on the upper part of the head, which was kept out of the water. One can hear the productions of two phonation systems, one in the right side of the head on the right speaker and one on the left side of the head in the left speaker. Notice the stereo effects. The sounds apparently move from one side to the other. The following 18-second segment is played first at normal speed to give one an idea of the very high frequencies which are normally emitted. Second segment is played, played first at normal speed. speed, increasing the durations by a factor of four and lowering the frequencies by the same factor. Notice the human-like quality of the first prolonged sound and of the group of four sounds that follows.
flat black classic on mutiny radio fm is what you're listening to with the sounds you hear are coming from plastic it's flat and black and full of grooves Oh, <laughs> 
once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember. It was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. The silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is, and nothing more. And presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce for sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, Doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken. The stillness gave no token. And the only word there spoken was the whispered word. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word. Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber, turning all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping, something louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment of this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter when... With many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door, perched upon the bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird, beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven. Ghastly, grim, and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast, upon the sculpted bust above his chamber door, with such name as Nevermore. 
But the raven, sitting lonely on that placid bus, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing further than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, to my scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master, whose unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hopes that melancholy burden bore of never, The raven still beguiling all my sad soul into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease, reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee respite, respite and nepenthe from my memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Worth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is the, is the balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, Prophets still if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I sweet upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest of the night's Plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from off my door. Worth the raven, nevermore. sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, a 
and his eyes of all the seeming of a demon that is dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul, from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor, shall be lifted nevermore. meadowlark, greeting the world in high, clear whistles that seem to fit the phrase, it's sweet to me, or the spring of the year. seems to be a tiny black bird. When we get the sun at the right angle, we discover that it is a brilliant blue all over. It is smaller than a bluebird and has no red on its breast. Its song is entirely different, high-pitched, somewhat goldfinch-like, but more rhythmic, with the notes given in distinct pairs. It is an indigo bunting, and it seems to say, 
sweet, sweet, where, where, here, here, see it, see it, and so forth.
the sounds which have been presented so far are those which occur naturally between dolphins. They are all produced with the blowhole closed, underwater, within the head of the dolphin. In the Institute, we've been doing a long series of researches on other types of sounds which the dolphins can be induced to emit. These sounds are produced with the open blowhole in air with the head above water. After the dolphin has been in captivity with humans who speak to him in air for a period of six or more weeks, he begins to make airborne sounds. At first, he makes the same sounds that he makes underwater i.e. in his native Delphinese way. Later, with encouragement from the humans, he attempts to bring his frequencies down closer to the human range and may begin to produce copies of human speech. At first, his copies are extremely poor, as one might expect. Gradually, with help from individual humans, the sounds are shaped up, as is said in psychology. The copies become better and better mimicry of the human voice. The voice of the dolphin in air has a much higher pitch and much higher frequencies of the formants than does that of the human. Black Plastic on the Mutiny Radio Data FM. Thanks for listening. Keep coming back. On, um, correction. May on, im, la, on, to, 